Hello everyone here to Procurement Unplugged, another episode and the first one in English. Uh, we are very happy to welcome today James Meads and as you may hear also with new and uh, professional equipment, so we improve episode by episode. Uh, welcome James. Fabian, thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be on your podcast. So James has a wide range of experiences within the field of procurement over the last two decades. Uh, he has been consulting a magnitude of uh, large enterprises and uh, predominantly he started in manufacturing, but also um, he has a wide knowledge about uh, BPOs, where we will also talk about uh, the spend of services. We touched upon that topic in our last episode with Marcel Vollmer and we are really happy to uh, to continue the conversation here with another true expert. So, James, how did you end up in procurement? And maybe you can tell us a bit more about your last two decades in the field. Sure. Everyone's always got a funny story about how they end up in procurement, right? Because nobody really goes through university saying, when I leave, I want to be a buyer. Um, so my, my story was I spent... Um, Just before my final year at university, I spent a summer uh, working in a purchasing department of a local uh, automotive gearbox manufacturing company, uh, and they needed someone to help them for two months for a new contract that they had won with Ford um, to get all of the new suppliers and all of the new customers set up for the for this contract that they'd won. And... I, up until then, had no idea what purchasing or what procurement was. It was something that was completely unknown to me. And through that summer job, you know, I was just grateful for not having to do some crappy job working in a factory, working in a, on, on a production line all summer. And instead, I could, you know, go and do an office job and something that required a bit of thought. So um, from that, really, that gave me the curiosity to think, well, I wasn't really sure, you know, I was 21 at the time, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do career-wise. And that gave me some food for thought and thought, you know, purchasing would be quite an interesting thing to try out. And then after I after I graduated, I worked a couple of worked a couple of jobs after that and and then applied to go on the graduate training scheme at, at Jaguar Land Rover. And that's where ultimately I I started my career in procurement, so in the in the automotive industry, uh, and then after I worked for JLR, I worked for a couple of tier one suppliers in the auto industry uh, until the big recession came at the end of 2008 with the financial crisis, uh, which made me realize that I would quite like to be in a in an industry that's a little bit more recession proof. So uh, when the economy picked up again, uh, I went to go and work for a company that makes toilet paper. And we all know from the <laughs> from 2020 how important a commodity toilet paper can be, uh, given all of the uh, all of the um, <laughs> you know capacity in the supply chain that we experienced last year. So. Um, Yeah, so I my my the last sort of eight years of my career before I set myself up uh, with my own business was in the consumer goods industry, um, which is you know very fast paced, a lot of change, uh, and 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 also very multidisciplinary in terms of you know you've got spend on pretty much everything in in that environment from both production through to 
through to things like professional services. Very interesting. I mean, you just mentioned uh, the buzzword change. I mean, uh, we hear that from, from various experts that a lot of things have been changing over the last 10 years, especially in procurement. What do you think uh, are the three biggest changes you've encountered over, over the last years or, or, or maybe over the last uh, decade? Um, the first one would be the emergence of talent pools in, in emerging markets. You know, when I started my career, procurement as a profession was pretty much the domain of North America and, and Western Europe. And um, it was around about 2006, 2007 in the automotive industry when, when we started hiring low-cost country sourcing experts in places like China and Eastern Europe and, and Mexico. And the professional buyers in the US and in Europe really had to train those guys. And, and now it's pretty much if a company wants to hire a category manager from a perspective of experience, it doesn't really matter whether they're located in in Asia, in the Middle East, in Latin America, in Europe, or, or, or in North America, you've got that pool of talent right across the board now. I think the second one is procurement has definitely moved from being more of a reactionary function to more of a strategic function. Um, I mean, that, that certainly was already in play sort of 15 years ago, but it's gathered a lot more pace, certainly over the past five to 10 years. And the third one, which I guess we'll talk a little bit about today, given what Merkinist does, is just the emergence and the increasing importance of software, uh, both from an automation perspective of repetitive tasks, but also in terms of being able to improve and um, uh, and, and and really take to the next level the, the the data and the interface and the way that you can manage suppliers and and put together a, a negotiation or a sourcing event and and manage a category that that just weren't available to us you know when we were really reliant on just SAP and Oracle or uh, and Microsoft Excel yeah makes uh, makes totally sense so basically um, over the last uh, 10 years you're saying that the talent pool has become more widespread across across like regions and borders and markets, um, and then also um, also the pace. But but along with the pace, the importance of procurement as a as a strategic function player has emerged because uh, back back then, as you were saying, it was rather a, a administrative function to a certain degree. And um, of course, software and automation has uh, has come and and uh, and and are playing a huge role in uh, in in the current day scenario. I mean, another topic we've been observing over the last decades is kind of the change from materials and goods towards services. If you look now on a on a European Union GDP level, two thirds of the European Union GDP are services. Um, I think you started your career at, uh, I think you mentioned Land Rover uh, in the UK, uh, which was, uh, I think back then, quite a, quite a material and product-driven uh, procurement. So um, how did you observe certain, certain changes with regards to, to service procurement over the last years? Yeah, I, I first experienced it uh, when I moved into the FMCG industry, actually, and there was always there was there was a lot of spend in the services area that was 
that was not under management and really didn't have any kind of process around around how it was purchased. And if you think about something, if I, if I, if I may interrupt here, I mean that's yeah. a very interesting topic because because I hear that from so many companies, um, the service spend is not under management. We may have a fifty fifty ratio or sixty forty ratio between materials and goods on then on the other side services but it's not under management because i think like in services the mentality to look beyond budget um has not arrived do you think um it is changing and the second question will be do you think covid19 is driving a bigger change here to get more procurement mentality into into the service spend I mean, I think Fabian, to answer the question, it's definitely changing, and and that's probably stating the obvious. But I guess in in what way is it changing is probably the the better way to approach this. And if you go on LinkedIn and do a job search for procurement category managers, I mean, I don't have the statistics, but I, I would guess just from just 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 from looking at it with the naked eye, that probably two thirds of those job descriptions will be for marketing and IT procurement managers. And that's an area, both of those are areas of spend that traditionally procurement just just haven't touched. And I think from a marketing perspective, you know, uh, good contacts of mine, a lady called Sarah Scudder based in the US uh, talked about this on on my podcast a, a year ago when I interviewed her. What she said is that, marketing leaders generally don't want anything to do with procurement because they see procurement as being an organization that just goes after the lowest price. And marketing, perhaps unlike factory operations, marketing have a very close ear of the CEO because it's such an important function for a bit, especially a consumer goods business, which is all about advertising and, and reaching customers in a very competitive market. You know, if you're thinking detergent or toilet paper or baby diapers or something like that. There's lots of competition out there. I think with IT, on the other hand, there just haven't been the procurement skills historically because there's such a lot of technical knowledge required. You know, technical people typically, it's a bit of a, maybe a little bit of a a stereotype, but technical people, IT people generally tend to be more introverted and less sort of confident in the negotiation uh in in the negotiation scenario um whereas procurement people generally obviously very commercially astute but wouldn't necessarily have the have the the technical skills to understand you know how can we negotiate software because we don't well a we don't understand what the software does and b you know we're not lawyers and we don't have you know the complexity from a contract management perspective uh, to be able to attack that because someone like SAP or Microsoft or Google, you know, they've, they've got an army of lawyers that can that can write a contract that's very much one-sided on their terms because they, in some cases, effectively have monopolies. So I think that's, they're probably the two biggest areas that I've seen the changes. So, I mean, that's a, that's a very, very interesting point what you're making. So do you think the, the challenges and the intrans Transparency in service procurement comes uh, from one certain reason because, like what what you are explaining, I see a multitude of different layers. I think on one side you mentioned that I mean the marketing leaders or IT leaders are not necessarily welcoming you as a procurement person. So I think it's to a certain degree, in my eyes, uh, a bit of a cultural transformation. 
The other thing I see, um, unlike in material procurement, you need to be even more a domain expert in the service procurement categories. And last but not least, um, I also feel like um, current softwares has been historically more shaped around materials and products and not necessarily uh, for that kind of uh, uh, like field of service procurement where you need to interact a lot with the stakeholders in order, in order to have a successful sourcing case. So um, what is it really, in your opinion, what makes it so difficult? Or is it, is it really that multitude of different challenges or is there like one reason more, more, more striking out? Um, I think if we're looking at software to manage how we procure services it's it's fundamentally different to how you would go out and and procure raw materials because well, i mean let's take three things you've got you've got raw materials purchasing you've got services purchasing or procurement and then you've got buying all of the other goods that are not raw materials but are but are sort of non-production materials that go into into the um into the manufacturing process or or into the process of of managing a company uh you know things like office stationery for example is um is probably the first one that you would think of there are three different strategies for those so if you're buying raw material essentially your strategy is pretty straightforward you want to you want to beat the market in terms of commodity pricing or at least not do worse than the market and you need to make sure that you have security of supply. And now, obviously, as modern procurement evolves, we're looking now more into things like supply chain traceability and ESG and diversity, all of that type of thing. But 10 years ago, that wasn't really there. With non-production materials and services, with non-production materials, sorry, that's essentially tail spend. So you've got a very high volume of purchase orders for what is a relatively low spend product. So that's the classic, you know, make it easy for the end user to be able to buy it themselves according to a strategy or to a preferred supplier, put it on a catalog, give them a nice user interface to purchase it through rather than an ERP system, which has an interface from the 1990s. And, and in most cases, you can offload a lot of that day-to-day requisitioning and purchasing onto onto the stakeholder and he or she is in most cases pretty happy because it means that they that they can do what they want to do without having to call someone in in purchasing or procurement to 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 go out and buy something for them with with services the focus is more on two things a if it's a one time spend for a big service or project that you need to buy something for you're probably not going to know the providers out there so there's an element of being able to scout the market and be able to figure out you know, who, who's out there, who can provide it, which I guess you would also have for materials in some instances if, um, if you're a company making build-to-order product. Um, but the big one with services is around lifetime contract cycle management and how do you go about managing that? Because the classic thing that happens in services procurement is that someone in a corporate procurement department talks to a vendor, negotiates, does a deal, and then says, they're our global vendor. There you go. All of our satellite locations go out and execute the terms of that contract. And what happens, I would say, seven or eight times out of 10 in companies that don't have a very top-down 
hierarchy and organizational structure is that that contract gets shoved in a drawer or gets put or gets put onto SharePoint and nobody in locations outside of head office knows that it exists or knows the real terms of the contract or what's more important, they don't measure the performance of that vendor. So having software that that can do that and that can do life cycle performance management and measuring the performance of service providers over the lifetime of the agreement that they're supplying you is it's a bit like having supplier relationship management for raw material suppliers to work on innovations and and, and KPIs and um what's it called order fill rate um I forget the acronym but it's a similar it's it's a similar sort of concept that that is vital to a long-term strategic relationship with, with a vendor. And if we look at services vendors, particularly now if we're looking at software, and I will caveat this with I am not an IT procurement expert. I've never bought IT. Um, but in a lot of cases, they I wouldn't say they're in a monopolistic position, but they're in a very strong position in the sense that it would take you a lot of time and a lot of pain and a lot of effort to be able to move from one provider to the next. Once SAP sells you their software, <laughs> realistically, you're never going to move away from it, right? So, Or if you are, it's going to be like a three or four year IT project with an yeah. army of consultants. So I think managing that supplier performance is is critical, bearing in mind that you have very little influence over price and to some extent, you know, depending on how powerful the vendor is, relatively little influence uh, over the terms and conditions that you sign up to. I mean, you would think that um, SRM is a topic which we talk about since 20 years, that it shouldn't be that much of a new thing when it comes to vendors and service providers. But I feel like what you're saying, that uh, the point is that it hasn't really reached, so there hasn't really been a software which can also integrate the, the stakeholders and the end user to really drive that holistically, as you were saying with the SharePoints and uh, the, the, the documents being lost in the central point or somewhere. Um, so, so is that kind of the reason? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think just accessibility of the data and the performance metrics in one space that is easy to access, I certainly think is a factor. I mean, if I cast my mind back to when would this be about 2012 um, when I was trying to put together a pan-European strategy and, and KPIs around measuring the performance of uh, a fleet of forklift trucks in 37 different plants across Europe. It took me six months to get the data. And when I got the data, half of it was rubbish. So <laughs> um, having one central po point of reference where single source of truth where that data can be uploaded to i mean that forklift truck fleets probably isn't a classic service in in the sense of what mercanis does but it's it, it's it's the same example of accessibility of data and having data in somewhere that's trusted and measuring things that everyone is aligned upon if you can get if you can get to that point then in the words of the great philosopher john bon jovi we're halfway there mm. Yeah, I mean, regarding another halfway thing, I mean, I feel like on 
like one side, uh, the truth is really in that holistic uh, supplier management because you're talking about uh, huge umbrella contracts and very strategic suppliers. And on the other side, within a department, with the end user, a lot of tailspend is happening, what you also mentioned. And like in the, in the pre-chat we had, you also mentioned uh, the concept of BPOs. Maybe we can quickly explain to the listeners the concept of BPOs and like how uh, BPOs are still heavily involved in huge organizations to drive service tailspend, given, given that these days a lot of the tailspend in materials and products is managed through catalogs. Yeah, so BPO stands for Business Process Outsourcing, just to to clear up the acronym. So a BPO essentially can be used in a multitude of different ways. But my experience of of working with a with a BPO provider in in one of my previous employers was that they were responsible from doing the purchase requisition to purchase order creation. And then they were also responsible for, in the case of goods, um, expediting uh, any of the goods that were non-production materials. So anything that was not a raw material that was was used in the production process. Part of that, or a big part of that, involved purchasing, as you as you mentioned, a lot of a lot of tail spend. And the characteristics of tail spend typically uh, are very high transaction volumes, a very high number of purchase orders, but a relatively low average value of the order. So there's a lot of there's a lot of spade work involved in doing it, but the the added value that that process drives compared to strategic procurement and top 20% of vendors is is relatively low. So what what we did what what the policy there was was that anything that was under 20,000 US dollars. So someone in corporate procurement would not typically get involved in unless there was a legal or a commercial issue. If there was a price increase or something like that, or contract terms or payment terms issue, we, we would get involved. But generally speaking, our external buying departments who, who were located in Eastern Europe at the time uh, were responsible for doing the day-to-day transactional procurement and had responsibility if they wanted to go out and negotiate it to 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 try and negotiate a better price but they didn't have to go out and get the typical three bids and a buy for anything under under that threshold of spend what what happened was that you know for goods it's quite easy to benchmark them if you want to buy an off-the-shelf spare part then, then you can go out and get three quotes quite easily. But if you're trying to buy services for a factory or for a corporate office, it's very difficult for a business process outsourcing company to challenge why a certain stakeholder wants to buy that service from a supplier. Yeah, it makes totally sense because, I mean, it's so tough to compare. But like, since you also wanted to talk about the future of uh, procurement, do you think um, in future years uh, BPOs can be disrupted to a certain degree with like approaches like um, self-service procurement or even like autonomous procurement? So do you see even like in in uh, in the taste band like a certain certain area for disruption? Because also we we talked about in our past conversations a lot that that 
procurement like will move more and more from transactions to to strategic procurement so how's your thoughts about that yeah well i mean i think this will affect both bpos and native procurement departments within within corporations but i think the the general trend and in you know i don't i don't think it takes a genius to work this out but the general trend will be that there will be less and less operational or tactical transactional procurement roles in the future because a lot of that work will be uh will, will be or a lot or a lot of the processes in that work will be will be automated you will still need people to to manage the workflow you'll still need people to to watch over it and you'll still need humans to make decisions when there is when when something goes wrong in that process so i mean if the supplier comes back and says that um they want to change payment terms or if they or, or if the um if there's a quality problem with a material or something like that there will there will always need to be human intervention but a lot of these administrative repetitive processes now that yes bpos do a lot of it but shockingly there are still you know a lot of businesses in places like germany and the uk that are paying people in those countries to do what is essentially a 15 to 20 euro an hour admin task that you could that, that you could go on upwork and and hire someone to do if you train them for a couple of days mm. uh, so i do think that that those roles are going to diminish you know will that have a big impact on bpos um i think it will have an impact on the type of work that they do uh i think somebody like an an infosys or a or, or a genpact are, are that big that it's not going to destroy them you know assuming that they've got some strategic foresight and they're not going to behave like kodak or nokia then i think they will survive it but certainly the work that they will do in the future i think will be vastly different to what they're doing now i mean apart from bpos and the taste band what's your uh, vision for for the future of procurement in the grand scheme of things i i think procurement is going to move more away from being measured on year-on-year -year annual savings because if you take that to to its logical conclusion then at some point you'll be buying materials for free because if if, <laughs> if well, no, right, so it sounds stupid but if procurement is targeted each year to get a five percent cost down on everything that they buy there's there's only a certain amount that they can get before the supplier starts making a loss so I think in reality, a lot of procurement teams have fudged those numbers for a lot of years because, you know, they know, they know, and we all know any smart mathematician knows that it's impossible to do that year on year and, and for the supplier to still make a profit in something that's largely commodity driven. If we're talking materials, I, I think there will be a much more, there'll be much more of a drive and much more of a shift towards procurement as being a total contributor towards added value. And and certainly some of the smarter businesses have already been doing that for a number of years. I mean, certainly casting my mind back to my corporate days, procurement would be credited for helping um, manufacturing excellence with energy saving projects, for example. And I think especially now with with climate change and the and the push for for um, for organizations to to spend more time on reducing CO2, I think the procurement will be more and more involved in in sustainability, sustainability initiatives that also 
happen to drive the bottom line as well. You know, the classic win-win, because while it may not be a material cost saving or, or a supplier negotiation saving, it, it impacts the P&L. I think the one where it's more difficult to measure, but where it's definitely an area that procurement spends a lot of time on and drives a lot of value is on is on cost avoidance and on crisis management. Um, and I think that's very difficult to measure. Uh, and we're, st- we're probably still, it's still going to take a while before procurement really gets the recognition for the work that they do in that area. And yeah, was, um, I mean, talking about savings, that's probably the one where you can do the biggest savings, like especially in uh, services. Right. Cost avoidance yeah. is probably the one where, where you have the biggest lever. Um, that's an that's interesting one, yeah. Yeah, especially if you're looking at any service that involves labor. You know, yeah. if you're looking at facility, facilities management, then typically, you know, especially in a country like Germany where the unions are very strong, the price of labor goes up every year. So if you're, if you're managing a contract for, for catering or cleaning, one of the strongest ways that you can impact that is by minimizing or eliminating the pass-through that the supplier gives you each year for rising wages, but yet the average CFO would not recognize that as a saving because he can't see it on his, on his P&L. So I do think there needs to be a, a mindset shift in the way that finance professionals view contribution from procurement in that sense. And uh, we're not there yet, but it is slowly starting to change. Yeah, very, very exciting vision, like procurement moving from a savings driver to a value driver. And um, yeah, one of the levers could be definitely uh, cost avoidance, but also, of course, sustainability. Um, yeah, uh, James, thanks a lot for the very interesting conversation. It was a pleasure uh, to have you here. And uh, we are looking forward to more episodes in the coming weeks. So thanks a lot for your time. Thank you, Fabian. Great to be part of it.